the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. That's who he is. The greatest act of God ever in human history was a divine act of compassion and grace as Jesus died on the cross suffering for our sins. If we're going to see people like Jesus sees people, we're going to be compassionate and full of grace. Welcome to The Barnabas Effect with Paul Purvis, Senior Pastor of Mission Hill Church, a multicultural, multi-generational, multiplying church focused on shining the light and love of Jesus like a city on a hill. You're invited to visit any of the three locations in Temple Terrace and Tampa. For information and locations, visit missionhill.org. That's missionhill.org. Now, with today's message, here's Pastor Paul Purvis. And I can compare that to historical fact. In just a week, I'm going to be walking on the streets that the Apostle Paul walked on. God willing and weather permitting, we'll see the jail where likely Paul and Silas were thrown into jail. Next May, I'm going to be walking the streets where Jesus walked. With every day that passes, archaeologists uncover things that attest to the historical accuracy of Scripture. Scripture is not a science book either. But if Scripture speaks on scientific things, it gets it right. Did you know that Scripture talks about the earth being round long before scientists realized it was? Sorry if any of you flat earthers are out there. I just want you to know you can trust God's Word. How do I know that? Because 2 Timothy 3.16 says all Scripture. Say all. You know what all means? You know what all means in Hebrew? You know what all means in Greek? All means all. All scripture is God-breathed. It's useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. What you've got to decide is, do you believe that all scripture is sufficient to guide you through life? We have a problem. Some of us, we like to pick and choose parts of scriptures that we are going to depend on. We like the ones that make sense. We don't like the ones that speak against our sinful attitudes or actions. We don't like the things that step on our toes. That's why, you know, as a Bible preacher, someone that just kind of regularly puts out the scriptures, I've actually had people leave the churches I've pastored and they said, you step on our toes too much. Because we don't like hearing those things that are contrary to our feelings. This passage says all of it is giving. And then it says it's God-breathed. You've got to decide if you believe that. The scripture comes from the mouth of God. Then it says it's purposeful. Did you see the purposes? It sometimes teaches us. It sometimes rebuked. Raise your hand if you've ever just been reading scripture and you felt rebuked. Well, if you're not raising your hand, you're not reading enough scripture. I'm just telling you. Corrects us. It trains us in righteousness. And Why? It tells us in verse 17, so that we might be thoroughly equipped for good works. So remember our purpose. As Christians seeking to answer cultural questions and discuss societal issues, we have to always start with a clear understanding of our biblical convictions and our personal beliefs. 
So those are three things I believe. What we really need to ask is, in light of what we believe as Christians, how do we respond to these issues? How does a Bible-believing Christian respond to things that the Bible calls sin? Because that, that's what happens. We look at these things in society and we say, that's sinful. So how do we appropriately respond to that? Now, I want to make this so clear. So maybe you just need to be reminded of what sin is. Sin's just missing God's mark. It's like saying God put the standard here. And as Romans said, we always fall short. Sin is anything we do that God said, don't do that. Or anything we don't do where God says, you should do this. And so that's why the Bible says all of us are sinners. And even as Christ followers, we still sin. So does the Bible speak to the issue of sin? Yes. Actually, the Bible speaks even to these issues, even the specific of transgenderism. Can you believe that? So we started in the Old Testament on the first page of the Bible. Did you know just a couple of books into the Bible, if you go to Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy chapter 22, listen to the word of God. A woman must not wear men's clothing, nor a man wear women's clothing. For the Lord your God to test anyone who does this. You're thinking, Pastor Paul, that's the Old Testament. Just a reminder, Jesus said, I didn't come to abolish the law, but to fulfill the law. Does the New Testament say anything? Well, the Apostle Paul, 1 Corinthians 6 says, Or do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who have sex with men. Time out. I don't do this often. I don't want to confuse you. You can trust just what you're reading from the pages of a good translation of Scripture. But if you really want to know what that original word in the Greek language says in that case... It's describing a man who dresses up like a man and stands on the street as a prostitute. I'm sorry, man that dresses up like a woman and stands on the street as a prostitute to attract other men. Nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And that's one of my favorite verses in the Bible. And that's what some of you were. But... You were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. You know what that was? That was just a reminder that all of us are on level ground at the foot of the cross. We like to look at some sins and think, man, I sure am thankful I don't sin like that person over there. But the Bible reminds us that there's a whole multitude of ways that you can be out of sync and out of step with God, all kinds of sin. And in fact, Paul even says that some of the people at the church used to commit some of the sins that he listed. I want to tell you today, the church has to be consistent when it comes to sin. So what do we believe? As Bible-believing followers of Jesus Christ, we believe that any sexual relationship outside of the covenant of marriage between one man and one woman is sin. Can I say that again? As Bible-believing followers of Jesus Christ, we believe that any sexual relationship outside of the covenant of marriage between one man and one woman is sin. 
It says it's on the second page of the Bible. There's a way it's supposed to be. That is why a man leaves his father and his mother, is united with his wife. They become one flesh. Jesus, when asked about marriage, quoted Genesis chapter 2, this verse I just read. The apostle Paul, when speaking to the early church, quoted Jesus, quoting Genesis 2. The scriptures are consistent in this issue. So let me be more clear for those of you that may be confused. That means that an unmarried couple cohabiting, even if they're in church every week, that are having a sexual relationship, the Bible calls that fornication and the Bible calls that sin. That means that a married individual who's having a sexual relationship with another person other than their spouse, the Bible calls that adultery And the Bible calls that sin. Consistently, that means that a man who is having a sexual relationship in any setting with another man or a woman who's having a sexual relationship in any setting with another woman is what the Bible calls homosexual and consistently throughout Scripture. The Bible calls that sin. And that means, as illustrated by the verses I mentioned, that a man who because of feelings however real they may be to that person, or a woman who, because of feelings, no matter how real they may be, who begins to act like a person of the opposite sex from which they were born, or living in sin. Now, there's a few of us that feels like whew, we skated by. Hi, I'm Paul Purvis, the lead pastor of Mission Hill Church right here in Tampa Bay. Thanks for taking the time to listen to today's The Barnabas Effect. It's a ministry intended to encourage, equip, and empower you. You may not know this, but this ministry is made possible because of the generosity of listeners like you. We are able to be on the air because listeners like you are gracious and give to this ministry. Would you consider making a gift today? It would be our honor to send you a gift, a resource, as a result of your gift of any size. You can make that gift by going to missionhill.org and clicking on the banner that says, the Barnabas Effect. That will direct you to a simple way that you can give right there online. Thanks again for listening to The Barnabas Effect today. And now we continue with our message. Let me just remind you how Jesus took it to a whole nother level. Matthew 5, 28, Jesus said, but I tell you, anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Church, I just want us to be consistent. This issue we are dealing with today, it's an issue of sin. But it's not the only issue of sin that is eating up the church. Sexual sins are a little different. The Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6, flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits are outside the body. But whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Do you not know that your bodies are the temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you've received from God? You are not your own. So what Paul does is answer a question some of you are asking. Can a person be a follower of Jesus and commit these sexual sins? According to Scripture, yes. Because you would not have the Holy Spirit of God if this were not a possibility. But Scripture teaches that if we're walking in darkness consistently, 
if we're living in sin without conviction and an unrepentant heart, that would be evidence that we're not walking in fellowship with the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why Paul said in that previous passage, chapter 6, verse 11, that's what some of you were, but praise the Lord, you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Church, let's just turn it positive for a second. How many of you are grateful that you were washed, that you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God? Man, I'm so thankful that as we sang a moment ago, he picked me up and he turned me around. He put my feet on solid ground. I'm so thankful when Jesus looks at me, he doesn't see the culmination of my worst sins, but the Father sees me clothed in the righteousness of his son, Jesus Christ. I'm so thankful that when I confess my sins to the Lord, Jesus takes it and he separates it as far as the east is from the west. The right response to any sin is sincere confession and genuine repentance. Because the Bible says if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and purify us of all unrighteousness. That's the hope of the church. And so when we talk about these issues or any issue, if we believe everybody is created in the image of God, if we believe your ultimate identity can be found in Jesus Christ, if we believe the truth of Scripture, then how we talk to others is that we present to them the hope of the gospel. That's who we are, the church. So as I've often done, I begin to ask, is there a Jesus story that speaks to this? And it didn't take me long to say, well, matter of fact, there is. It's going to be one you're familiar with. It's in John chapter 8, but I'm going to read the last phrase from John chapter 7. Jesus had been interacting with some people, and it says they all went home. But in verse 53, it says, but Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Now, just a quick question, class. What do we know that Jesus liked to do on the Mount of Olives? Good. I'm so proud of you. Jesus liked to pray. He would go to the Mount of Olives and he would pray there in the Garden of Gethsemane. And that teaches us that when we're going to confront the difficult things of life, the only way we can confront those is on our knees in prayer with the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, at dawn, it says he appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered around and he sat down to teach them. You've heard this story. Some of you didn't realize it took place in the temple courts. This took place at church. And that's why we're having this discussion today. It's worth talking about these things in the house of God. The teachers of the law, the Pharisees, brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group. Now just think about that. Another quick question. How many people are necessarily involved for adultery to take place? Where's the man? What were these people doing? Standing in judgment embarrassing this woman drag it literally says caught in the act so they're dragging her out putting her in public not treating her as an image bearer they said to jesus teacher this woman was caught in the act of adultery in the law of moses it commands us to stone such women what do you say they were using this as a question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him but jesus bent down and he started to ride on the ground with his finger and we don't know what he wrote 
He might have written down the specific law of Moses they were talking about. He might have written down, he might have written down their names just to remind us that God knows every hair on your head. He might have written down some other women's names or their specific sins. But what we know is in that moment, he took the attention away from that humiliated woman. And they kept on questioning him. He straightened up and he said to them, let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone. And then again, he stooped down. (laughs) Now, I love this. Don't miss this. The second time he wrote in the sand. The first time he was taking the attention off of the humiliated woman. Now he's taking the attention off of the humiliated men. You're going to see something consistent about Jesus. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time. The older ones first, to only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. And Jesus straightened up and he asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? Now remember John 3.16, For God so loved the world, He gave His only Son, that whosoever believes in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And then John 3.17, For He did not come into the world to what? Remember that, church? He did not come into the world to condemn the world. We're condemned already without Jesus. It's not our job to condemn anyone. So Jesus declared, go now, and I love the way this is phrased, and leave your life of sin. All right? I'm going to wrap this up by giving you two truths, and then we're going to pray. First, Jesus treated everyone in this story with compassion and grace. Did you catch that? The Jesus way is always going to be filled with compassion and grace. Why? Because there's a short verse in the Bible you can learn and you can walk away saying, I learned a verse at church today. Here it is. God is love. So we really do love if we're going to be like him because that's who he is. The greatest act of God ever in human history was a divine act of compassion and grace as Jesus died on the cross suffering for our sins. If we're going to see people like Jesus sees people, we're going to be compassionate and full of grace. Jesus knew this woman, even caught in the act of sin, was created in God's image just like the accusers. But there's a second truth. Jesus always acted with compassion and grace. But secondly, Jesus did not hesitate to speak the truth in love. Go now and leave your life of sin. As Christ's followers, this is where some of us can do better. Speaking the truth in love. That's what it calls it in Ephesians chapter 4. Speaking the truth in love, we grow to become in every respect mature as the body of him with the head of Christ. It's not a surprise that Jesus got this right. Because <laughs> he's Jesus, right? He's God. And John 1.17 tells us the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth, that was perfected in Jesus Christ. That's who he is. Now, 54 years old, pastoring for 30 years. 
Here's what I've learned. We hang out on the edges. Some of you are too far on the edge. Some of you are on the compassion edge. You're like a hippie. I mean, you're just like, can't we just love everybody? I mean, let's just love them to Jesus. I love everybody. I just need them to know. Let's just let them know how much I love them. I mean, you're so conflict averse. I mean, you, you couldn't even, you just are, you're just a lover. Some of you, you think you're the judge. So honestly, you're looking down your sinful noses at the sins of everybody else just because they're different from yours. Both of these are wrong. The Jesus way is truth and grace. Jesus confronted the sin. In fact, he told her, stop it. Don't live this way anymore. Look again at Jesus. He saw this woman as God's image bearer. He helped her find her new identity in him. He pointed her to the truth of scripture and he confronted the issue of sin. I mentioned Preston Sprinkle. I love how he described the Jesus way. We must see everyone around us as individuals created in the image of God. We must tirelessly encourage everyone to find their identity in Christ. We must hold fast to the truth of scripture while confronting the issue of sin. Sprinkle said, Jesus is building an upside-down kingdom where outcasts have their feet washed. The marginalized are welcome. Dehumanized people feel humanized once again. Truth is upheld, celebrated, and proclaimed where those who fall short of the truth are loved. That's who we've got to be. Our campus pastors are preaching today, so we were meeting earlier this week, and Lucas, he's preaching at Lake Carroll, and He said, man, I saw this just a couple weeks ago out at the beach. Sunday afternoon, we wanted just to take our kids to the beach. We didn't know how many more times we'd do that. As we were sitting there, we got so encouraged because we looked out, and I don't know if it was a church or just a group of Christ followers, but there was a baptism that was taking place. And I mean, they were baptizing one after another. They were lifting their hands in praise. It was a great time. I saw the church, and he said, then I turned. And as I turned, I, I saw two young women embracing and then passionately kissing one another there in the waves. And I thought, this is a picture of where we are. The church is in the world, but we're not of the world. And we've got to figure out how to navigate this season in a way that honors him. May we learn to treat God's image bearers with compassion and grace while boldly speaking his truth and love. Let me ask you a question. If Jesus were physically here and he were bending down writing in the sand to you today, what would he be writing? Would he say, don't you understand? You're bearing my image? Would he say, why haven't you found your identity in me? Would he say, why aren't you living according to the truths of scripture? One more thing. Verse 9. I love how it ends. Until only Jesus was left with the woman who was still standing there.
If you're hearing these words and you're eat up with grief and inner turmoil, maybe because of past sins, maybe because of abuse that you've survived, but for whatever reason you feel all alone, let me just tell you, you're not. Jesus is still standing there. But for others of us, we need to look around. Because there are some people in our little corner of the world that feel like they're all alone. And Jesus is with them. But we need to go stand with them so that they know they were created in God's image. They can find their identity in Christ. And they can depend on the truth of Scripture. You've been listening to The Barnabas Effect with Pastor Paul Purvis. The Barnabas Effect is here to provide listeners like you with biblical truth and spiritual encouragement. But it can't be done without your financial support. Go to missionhill.org and click on the Give tab. Your financial support helps us reach those seeking truth about God and themselves. Thank you for giving at missionhill.org. Be encouraged by The Barnabas Effect with Pastor Paul Purvis. Weekdays at 9 a.m. on Faith Talk Tampa. Online at letstalkfaith.com. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.